Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media in America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 103 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today is going to be a super fun one where we are talking all about real food and how to maximize your flavor as well as our favorite swap outs of cleaner or anti-inflammatory options and how to keep your clean eating diet exciting and diverse. I'm super excited for this episode, so we're keeping it pretty light, not a lot of like geeky, nerdy science, though I'm sure there will be some because it's us, Um, but (laughs) you know, this gets back to um, the idea that real food really can be delicious, and this is something that I know Allie and I have to remind ourselves all the time to like take time and pause and go back and get in the kitchen and get creative when we're feeling like mentally stuck or in, we even get into food ruts ourselves, you guys. So for sure, for sure. And I think it takes away that just tired dietitian concept of, I can't tell you still, you guys, how many clients of mine are like sauce on the side. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. My salad with no dressing. I'm like, damn it. No. (laughs) So I know those of you that are not fat phobic likely have moved beyond that, but today we're going to talk about how to take your flavor profiles to the next level, switch up your flavor variety, and again, understand how to be your own chef for your household and family. And when something isn't turning out right, or if you don't have an ingredient that's listed in, in a recipe of sorts, you know what function it has. So you can easily swap it out for something that you totally have on hand. Awesome. Yes. And before we dive in, update Sally, what's going on with the book? What's happening? So the book is here. Uh, hopefully we all have a copy and I swear we'll stop talking about it at least for a little bit. <laughs> it's been like the last 30 something episodes. I feel like uh, I signed the contract back in September of 2017. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and here we are finishing up September of 2018 and it's come into fruition. Uh, so pretty awesome and exciting I have the uh, release party in Austin this weekend uh, on Saturday, so super excited about that, and that's going to be at the Picnic Lamar trailer, so for those of you that are in the Austin-ish area, if you haven't checked out Picnic, it is a paleo or AIP or clean eating diner's delight, Um, and they're really renowned for their butter coffees and their bone broth, so come grab a mug of either of those and I'll be doing a little mini lecture and giving free hugs and selling books and signing books and all of the things. I'll link to the events page where you can RSVP in our show notes. So please come and join us. I will be there. Our husbands will be there. Stella will be there. Maybe we'll bring our dog. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All of the things. And then another event that's coming up as far as attending is Low Carb Houston. So This may be one that you guys want to fly out for, regardless of where you're at. It has an awesome lineup of speakers. We'll put a registration link in our show notes, and I'm sure we'll be talking all about it in social media as this episode airs. Uh, But that is going to be in October on the weekend of, well, it's actually a Thursday, Friday, Saturday conference running the 25th, 26th, and 27th of October. And um, it's going to be Low Carb Houston, and I am doing a dinner event on the evening of the 25th, and that is going to be a ticketed event for those that are attending the conference or for those that just want to come to the dinner. And um, it's going to be all about food as medicine with a ketogenic approach. We're going to be bringing in some local ranchers and um, purveyors. And it's going to just be an awesome, awesome event uh, looking at partnering with Dry Farm Wines to do the beverages. And uh, I'm just really stoked about how that's going to come into fruition. Yes, I'll make sure I link to 
all of these super exciting events in our show notes. I'm super pumped for that one as well. And I think it's the first time we're doing a low carb or totally keto focus event with Monica Pope. Yep. It'll be a learning curve. (laughs) We'll get there. (laughs) She's been great. The menu sounds amazing so far. So yeah, we'll keep it up and we'll keep you guys posted for sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, Awesome. And then by the time this airs, I think we'll be at week four. of our keto class. So last, last chance, I think we called last week's episode the last call, but there's no reason you guys, if you want to join and haven't joined that you can't catch up your two classes behind, but it won't take you long at all to get caught up. So if you're kind of on the fence about joining our keto program, our next one doesn't start until January. So you can still jump in and get yourself back on track for fall. Absolutely. And it is six live classes, but I will say about only 30% of our participants, we take about 150 people per round and um, only about 30% of the people actually make it to the live class. So you're likely not missing anything. You know, people are putting their kids down, going to baseball games or whatever sport is going on at this time of the year, football or something. (laughs) And um, dance classes, who even knows, uh, doing work socials or uh, I have a couple people that have Bible studies. Whatever your commitments are, you can keep those set in stone. And I upload the live class literally after I put Stella down that night. So it's like by 9 p.m. You're not going to miss out if you miss the 6 to 7 p.m. live. You could still watch it even that evening or throughout the entire week. You get access to all of the live classes for an entire 16 weeks, so four weeks past the program. And all of the materials are downloadable PDFs, so you get to keep those for a lifetime. And you get a lifetime spot in our private Facebook community, which is really awesome. By week four, we're really starting to see things come to life. And this is where we really start to layer in the customization of how we use food as medicine keto. So we're just starting foundational and layering things for those of you that are, you know, keto and fat adapted and feel like you're a veteran at this point. If something still isn't clicking or you even think that you're dealing with leaky gut or adrenal fatigue or hormone imbalance, Even if you think you're rocking out your keto and it's not a keto problem, it might be a functional medicine, food as medicine problem. And this program is still an awesome fit for you. Awesome. I love it. And on the note of real food and flavor, we always see such creative ideas within our Facebook group. And I think you and I both get super inspired to ramp up our posting on the blog of keto-friendly using real food using real flavor. So I'm excited for um, a fall start and and kind of delving into the flavors of fall with the approach. Like yes. those pumpkin cheesecake fat yeah. bombs. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have to see what comes this season for sure because I'm sure there'll be some new yummy treats as well. Always. And you know, we both always love to break rules. So my keto approach is not a yes or no. It's all about, you know, Ketosis is a metabolic process, not a yes or no food list. So as you guys know, in the last couple months, I've also been kind of shaking the tides by using my low-carb zucchini collagen muffins, which have a banana in oh the entire gosh. recipe. <laughs> dun, 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 call the keto police. Woo! And then also my uh, avocado keto brownies, which use four soaked dates. So we're going to talk about within our one of our approaches of flavor balance uses the word sweet. And yes, you can use sweet to balance out keto-friendly recipes and still stay well under 10 grams of carbs per serving and still have abundance of uh, variety and flavor variety and density and um, still feel super satisfied. Awesome, Awesome. So I'll link that last call for our keto group in the show notes. And if you're on the fence, again, go join, do it now. And it doesn't mean you can't do it, like Becky said later, but it does mean that we will stop talking about it in our podcast for at least a while until we get into December and we start ramping up January. So there you go. (laughs) Dive into today's episode, Allie. I know a lot of people know about your medical background, and we've gotten into that in um, a couple of episodes now. I know the first episode is the Who is Allie Miller? For sure. Yep. Becoming a Functional Medicine Practitioner. I'll link to that one. I'm not sure of the exact name of it. Yes. I think it was 96 or 95. Mm -hmm. Um, We got into more of your medical background and training, but let's talk a little bit about your 
culinary background because there's there's other layers yeah. to the complex onion that is Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Uh, so many people don't know. I'm not sure if I've ever said this in any episode, uh, but I was a my first kind of like food as a like career or job, I guess, profession other than waitressing, which for sure. I was doing, uh, was as a hospital chef. (laughs) This was when I was in Iowa city, Iowa and, um, at mercy hospital, I got a job there as a diet technician because I wanted to build my resume. I was applying for Bastyr, the naturopathic college of medicine that I went to. And, um, I wanted to get some, you know, fluff to my resume within the hospital setting so that I was very appealing candidate for the dietetic program. And, um, I got a job as a diet tech. So I was like coding the low sodium diets and the, you know, uh, carb restricted diabetic mm-hmm. diets, which were just a disaster anyway, but there was a pay scale raise and I was a poor college kid, um, to be the hospital chef on the weekends. And I was a Gosh. vegan at this time, which is hilarious. <laughs> so I was literally like making like big vats of, uh, the instant mashed potatoes, which had uh, maltodextrin in them and gluten. And I was taking these huge slabs of like USDA choice, the like lowest quality <laughs> grading of meats uh, and doing various things with them. And I just had to, my whole mantra through that process was like, Gosh. this is a step in your journey. <laughs> this is a step in your journey. You can't heal people until you can get through the system. This is a stamp on your passport. You can't obsess right now. So I did that. That was my first introduction to culinary, if you want to call it that. I use air quotes very lightly. Uh, My first actual experience uh, probably was becoming a vegan first and foremost when I got stripped of a lot of the foods that I was eating as standard American staples and had to get creative Uh, And then when I went to Bastyr University formally, we had three levels of a class called Whole Foods Production. So most people that become registered dietitians have what's called a food lab. And it's a kind of sad excuse. Sorry, Becky. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is. I've got some horror stories. Yeah, it's not anything to learn about real foods. But anyway, it's a food lab and it really is more of a lab. While at Bastyr, we actually had a hands-on kitchen And Whole Foods Production 1, 2, and 3, in those classes, we would do really cool things. It was almost like Top Chef challenges where we'd have like a brown paper bag of mystery ingredients (laughs) and we would have like soups. It would be a soup day. And so we would talk about um, what is mirepoix? You know, what is the base of a soup? What ingredients are required? Uh, Why would you start with sauteing and caramelization? What's the foundation of a good stock? Uh, One station would make a vegetarian stock. One would make a fish stock. One would make a bone broth. One would make a beef bone broth. Uh, and then within different dishes, maybe one week could be a baking module. And so with baking, we would have a different sweetener per station. So one station might have sucanat, which is the sugar cane that still has the molasses intact. Another station might be uh, coconut sugar. Another station might be organic cane sugar. Another station might have been uh, applesauce. You know, so we would literally play with purees and and, and different structures of things and see how that would affect the crunchiness, the texture, the quality, and then look at the nutritional density. Um, So we did this with varied recipes. We understood how recipes are developed. Um, We understood also kind of the, just like with approaching the body, the mechanisms of action, if you will, you know, why is this part a contributing factor of the recipe? Why is this an integral component to the dish? And then I took a lot of electives, as I've discussed in other episodes, I was just full on full throttle nerd mode. What can I get my hands into? And I took a class called therapeutic foods, which is really where I started to dig into what I call food as medicine. And this is where we would have a class maybe on um, cancer foods. So we would learn how to make congee. Uh, We would learn how to, which would help with diarrhea or uh, nausea and um, also uh, help with uh, excessive peristalsis in the gut or slow down gut motility. Um, We would learn about also using like ginger shooters in that class to help as an anti-emetic. And so we learned in the therapeutic foods coursework, which was elective, particular botanicals, particular ingredients and therapeutic foods and the nutrients they had and how those nourish and heal the body. And then I really, with that and my organic gardening classes and wild foraging classes, kind of took that to the next level of 
what I've created within Naturally Nourished. And that's why every recipe that uh, Becky or I put up on the blog is always going to have that food as medicine focus so that you really feel empowered by the ingredients you're using and how those influence your body as a whole system. Such an evolution of (laughs) timeline of of (laughs) development of your background. Anything else you want to throw in there? And then there was a more like, (laughs) like, damn it. (laughs) And then then came the more formal culinary work. So that was all like my like, you know, hippie naturopathic uh, work. And um, that was all fantastic. And then at that same time, oh, I left this out. I also became a certified raw food chef. Um, towards the tail of my vegan journey, as I was becoming an omnivore, I became certified as a raw vegan chef. And I actually had my own little food line of kombucha. And I had Ali's hemp bars. <laughs> and they were these like raw sprouted hemp bars with uh, soaked and sprouted buckwheat groats and almond butter and coconut oil. Uh, and this cacao butter topping. Um, they were awesome. I need to find that recipe and play with it maybe. Um, but uh, so I had a food line at this raw vegan shop and became a certified raw vegan chef. And then as I went omnivore, I was like, well, this is kind of tired. I can't work here forever and just make sun-dried tomato pizza crusts uh, with flaxseed. <laughs> so I started uh, working at volunteering at the, the PCC uh, Pacific Sound Consumers Co-op, I think it stood for, out in the Pacific Northwest. And um, that was the natural food store that had, I think, seven or eight locations at that time. And I was their uh, culinary class assistant. So I would cherry pick based on their chefs that were visiting and um, be their assistant. So I would do their grocery shopping at the PCC market. I would do all of their prepping. I would talk to them before and after class and then help at the stations with the participants. And I did the entire program of the Boulder School of Natural Cookery through there, which was really cool. So I was like, that was the, the best volunteer bang for your buck because that school um, and their curriculum, I still have the binder. I think I showed you that with a glass of wine one night, Becky. Um, Yeah, it has these like really funky recipe cards. And I'm thinking of using this in a big secret Uh project that I have coming. Um, So dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Um, But of really empowering people to understand how flavors are used and expand that, that world. So That was all through Boulder School of Natural Cookery. And then finally, um, when I moved to Houston, I taught classes at Sur La Table and um, at Central Market. I taught classes once Naturally Nourished Cookbook came out. And um, Becky, you've helped me with a couple of those. One I did when I was yeah, having like I pretty that. bad Braxton Hicks like, contraction. Oh I'm going to go into labor <laughs> like, and I'm going to have to take over <laughs> this class. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that's where we, I leave off and, and now I cook from home and I'm sure in the future I'll still do recipe demos and things like that. But, and then this, um, bump of bum secret projects. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah, Instagram's a good place to see both of us doing our, our kind of home cooking, what we really eat all the time in real life all the time. Yes. Yes. Awesome. So, <laughs> so how about your background, Becky? <laughs> we'll do it. Maybe shorter. I'm trying to put it into like some semblance of a timeline. And honestly, I'm not sure what came first, chicken or egg here. But I also started kind of my interest in cooking, I think, peaked as a vegan. So I didn't really grow up in a culinary household. Mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Um, somehow that you have other skills, but somehow that skipped a generation. So, you know, we were very convenience focused and still healthy-ish in quotes, but um, I think I, I became kind of reinvigorated or, or interested in cooking for myself for the first time in college as a vegan and just kind of informally taught myself to cook like during off hours in one of the student kitchens that was available. Um, and then from there, when I moved to Houston, I was teaching preschool and um, doing like little, I'd bring in little recipe demos for my kiddos because I was just so horrified by what they were eating in their HASD classroom. Um, so we would do little demos with um, the school garden that I helped to start. Um, and from there, it was kind of an evolution. I worked for Urban Harvest, which is a nonprofit based in Houston, and got really um, into the farmer's market scene. So I started to 
experiment with new produce that I had never used before. Um, did some informal training. Yeah, totally. That was, that was Love like that. A That's a great point. Like, mm-hmm. oh, like we have this amazing, because I'm from Connecticut. So we had a growing season of three months there. Houston, it's year round. And like, I had never seen kohlrabi or okra or all of these things that, you know, now are in my kind of day-to-day uh, repertoire. So I really learned um, informally with a, a chef during that time and um, also helped to start a juice bar um, back when I was also doing all the things. We were like, you know, horse of many colors or whatever you want to call it, you and I both. Um, but I was <laughs> I had started a juice bar. I was also kind of moonlighting in the kitchen at this farm to table restaurant and developing, um, I was put in charge of doing like the raw vegan recipes on the menu, which I was also a raw vegan at that time. See, we could have been, we are kindred spirits. Um, and then you know, I feel like I really mastered, um, cooking vegetables. And I think that's something to be said that I always look for like in a restaurant and in a chef is, okay, you can do like meats all day, but how do you cook your vegetables? And like, do you understand texture and flavor and and pairing with vegetables and how to, you know, create something amazing out of cauliflower, which we're all learning to do. I agree. Um, And I'm sure we'll get more into. So from there, started another juice bar. Um, I was working with Baylor College of Medicine at the time and helped them to develop an elective. Um, It was called the Chef Elective. And um, I ended up taking it over from a chef that I started it with. So I was like, oh, well, the best way to learn to cook is to teach, I guess. So (laughs) became an informal (laughs) instructor. Um, Somewhere in that mix, uh, decided I was going to start incorporating meat and becoming unvegan. So I had to, of course, learn to cook meat. <laughs> and I had to learn really fast because this was the same time, Allie, that I was transitioning to going back to school. And I started cooking privately for a couple of your clients, which was an awesome gig, a really fun yeah. way to start experimenting with flavor. But I was like, oh my God, I don't know how to break down a chicken. So that was like one of the first things that my husband, my boyfriend right. at the time, made me do is he got me a whole chicken and was like, nope, we're going to watch this YouTube video again. And you're going to like, oh, it was, it was an interesting experience, <laughs> very visceral and like, I'll never forget it. Um, but yeah, from there evolved yeah. into private cooking and helping you with cooking classes and blog. And, you know, I've really just refined, I guess, from there. So that's the long and short <laughs> of my story. Yeah, <laughs> For sure. I, I think that the, um, I, I am hundred percent into, if you can make vegetables taste complex and flavorful that then you can make anything taste delicious because meat has a lot more forgiveness, especially bone in skin on meat. I mean, who's wasting their time with white (laughs) meat anyway. (laughs) Um, but anyway, um, but yeah, you know, I, I think for sure there's definitely something to be said about that. And I think that the idea and concept, whether you guys had a vegan stripe in your rainbow, like Becky and I did, or just restriction, when you have to shave down or strip your diet to remove comfort staples, then you have to become more innovative or you have to kind of expand within restriction. And so I think that that's another kind of trend of overlap. And then that seasonal local thing as well. I, I mean, that's a huge part that I left out was I also, Brady, when he moved to Seattle, Washington uh, from Florida, he was running, he was a sustainable director of an agricultural company in Florida and running their compost um, operations and then started working at an organic farm. I got him a job at Full Circle Farm outside of Washington. And yeah, it was like a a (laughs) challenge to get through the amount of produce that he would bring home. (laughs) It was like, bring it on, man. Um, And and just just fun, interesting, funky stuff. Um, So- Let's get to the meat and potatoes of today's episode. We're going to try to keep this one short, you guys. We've been ripping through hour-long episodes, and I want to empower you all to learn about two techniques of keeping your flavors diverse and balanced. So let's do this, girl. Yeah. Let's talk about Rebecca Katz, and you're much more familiar. I think you introduced me to her work, Um, but Rebecca Katz's concept of – F-A-S-S or FAS and then B-S-S-S-S. Yes. Let's talk about her approach and kind of where you came into contact with this and what that means. 
Yeah. And the biz approach is from the Boulder School of Natural Cookery. And then, yeah, the FASS is, is uh, Rebecca Katz. So Rebecca Katz um, also, I revisited her in my pathway when I was at MD Anderson. Um, so she is a nationally recognized culinary translator and expert on the role of food in supporting optimal health. Uh, she has a master's of science degree in, in health and nutrition and formal culinary training from New York's Natural Gourmet Institute. And she has a bunch of books out uh, in my uh, program at MD Anderson. We included The Cancer Fighting Kitchen and One Bite at a Time. And then um, I'm also familiar with The Longevity Kitchen. So those are three that I have in my household. And yes, she uses this concept of for balanced dishes, it's always important to have a fat, an acid, a salt, and a sweet. Um, and that is, in short, what the FASS method is. Awesome. And I'm sure we'll dig into that a lot further in this episode, but so simple, truly essential. And I remember, you know, when I started back in 2015 and started taking over a lot of the blog, that was always something that we discussed to make sure we had all of these elements covered. And it is something, you know, you may not even realize that you're doing it, right? When you taste something, you're like, it needs right. more acid, it needs more salt, it's missing a sweet component. You may not even know that you're doing it as, you know, a home cook or or even as a, a chef, but you're probably doing it. And if you're not, that might be why dishes might not be tasting as balanced. So uh, we'll go into, yes. let's start with fat. So let's talk about fat. So obviously I love fat <laughs> and I think of fat as a carrier of flavor. What I'm going to do with each of these FASS letters, um, we have in our curriculum of our optimal eating class. Uh, this is a virtual program, which if you guys love today's episode, it's an awesome program because there's actual footage of me making a lot of recipes. There's really cool handouts and how to kind of workshop these concepts. And it's called optimal eating. Um, it's a class we really don't talk about enough, but a really great program that is pretty comprehensive and definitely all whole food based. Um, so anyway, I'm going to pull a little bit of a pull quote from each of them from Rebecca, because I think she's just kind of queen at these things. But I call fats carriers of flavor. Miss Katz says, good fats are like tiny magic carpets that traverse the mouth and carry succulent flavors across our palates. They lay the foundation, the taste buds super highway, if you will, that links the otherwise disparate areas of the mouth that senses flavor. Um, so, I mean, I have to read her little polls because they're awesome, like tiny magic carpets and the, yeah, they lay the foundation, the, the super highway uh, for your taste buds. Um, I mean, she's just pretty cool woman. So, yeah, I mean, the big thing is when you think of like tasting wine, when you do a wine tasting, in order to pick up on those complex flavors, you want to eat something with fat. So we think of cheeses, we think of olives, um, we think of nuts. When you get a lipid layer on your tongue, this magic carpet, as she's calling it, truly lipids coat the tongue so that we can have healthy, of course, cell membrane signaling. We can support our cells. We get a lot of benefits of fats in the body. Like, you know, I talk about in the anti-anxiety diet, how fats help to enhance our adrenals and help to absorb our A, D, E, and K and antioxidants. They help us to feel satiated and help us to burn fat. But fats on the palate coat the tongue so that we can have better perception of complexity so of flavor. Cool. How cool yeah, is that? Like and then what about function yes. in the body? <laughs> so, um, I mean, that would be the big things I, I called out. So if we're talking about like adrenal support, absorption of, you know, fat-soluble yeah. nutrients, you got I something in mind? Never mind. Let's keep going. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, we can go there, but help us to burn fat. Um, yeah. So, so fats we love and, you know, you're probably thinking of already like, duh, Allie puts coconut oil and or grass fed butter in everything. And I am one of those people. My husband, Brady is like a coffee purist. He's very specific about like the acidity of the bean and this is very fruit forward and this is whatever. And he says, I ruined my coffee by adding grass-fed butter and coconut oil. But my argument, very clear now, I'm just laying that tiny, tiny magic carpet so that I can better taste the flavors. Now, maybe when I add my vanilla extract and flavored CBD oil, 
then I'm interfering with your coffee hustle, babe. But the fat alone should really help to kind of coat and support that. Um, but yeah. let's talk about, Becky, maybe some of our other favorite fats. So in a cooking scenario, um, so we can think of fats as oils or fats as solids. So that's kind of the first way to break it down. And so we're thinking of kind of what is when we're thinking of in a culinary sense, you want to think of the, the heat index and um, we want to use always saturated fats for um, anything that's going to be heated really above like 325 degrees or so. So we're thinking about at that sense, things like tallow and lard, and uh, this is where we could use our ghee and our more refined coconut oil. The only liquid oil that's really appropriate for high heat is avocado oil, um, and then maybe occasional use of grapefruit seed oil, but I'd prefer to use those saturated fats and the avocado oil in, in all scenarios. Um, and let's talk about some of your favorite liquid oils, Becky. I think avocado is probably our staple that's like right next to the pan just because it can go hot or cold. Um, olive oil is obviously more yeah. of a, a cold preparation. And then in terms of other liquids kind of getting more interesting, um, you know, I'll do pumpkin seed oil in a dressing um, from time to time. It's got kind of that nutty flavor. Yes. I've definitely got almond seed oil or almond oil, uh, excuse me, on hand at all times to do like more interesting dressings. Hazelnut oil, I've done some salad dressings with as well. And that's usually where I play um, with yeah. the different liquid oils um, is in salad dressings and kind of more raw preparations for drizzling. Yeah, fish, finishing, exactly. Or a finish, like yeah. a plate finish. Um, toasted sesame oil is the only one that I really would – use as like that kind of umami, more rich profile. And generally speaking with oils, you'll have the extra virgin or the uh, pressed or the refined. And if something is refined, whether we're talking about coconut oil or olive oil, you are going to get less of the flavor profile, but more of the heat stability. So something to really make clear to people when they're buying and selecting. Um, so that's something food for thought wise. So like the refined coconut oil, if you have, for instance, a complete intolerance to dairy and you don't do well with ghee for beyond the casein, which ghee is free of, maybe you still can't tolerate. You'd want to do then like a refined coconut oil for a higher heat if you aren't doing the animal fats. Um, so most of the animal fats like tallow and lard are going to have a moderate flavor profile, but less than like an, a non-refined coconut oil, which is going to be quite pungent and really impact the flavor of the dish. Awesome. And yeah, I've been super into lard and tallow recently because we've been doing more um, whole animal purchasing. And so we end up with uh, beef or pork fat that yeah. we need to render down. And we're in the process of moving. So I've got a whole deep freezer that I'm <laughs> trying to clean out. So I'm actually working on some, um, making some pork rinds and there's fat attached to the skin that was given to me with this whole pig that we bought yeah. back six months ago. So they're in the oven right now and they're smelling really good. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> but you get the the double whammy of the the skin and the lard there. So I've been into those in terms of like traditional fats yeah. Um, and they kind of just sit right next to our cast iron skillet and yep. just rotate. Yeah. We keep next to our cast iron right now. I have also a jar of grass fed butter that I like to keep at room temperature for like spreading on my low carb muffins <laughs> or whatever vehicle I want to spread butter on that isn't cold. And then my ghee. And right now I have a leaf lard um, next to that. And then I have an extra virgin olive oil and I have a <laughs> avocado oil and I just keep all of those out. It's just like boom, boom, boom. And then, like you said, some of those other kind of fancy finishing oils are um, going to be used as more of a drizzle. Even in a salad dressing, I'd probably dilute some of those with like an olive oil or something like that if it works for the flavor profile. And then before we go on to acid, the other thing to consider with fat in a recipe is fats as fruits or things like nuts and seeds, olives, and avocado. So you can still add that. In fact, I do a uh, kale salad where I first break down the kale itself by massaging it with my hands with salt always essential for kale. You don't have three stomachs like a cow, so you need to kind of pre-digest it with your hands. And um, so we massage the kale and then I uh, do a vinaigrette, but then I also take uh, two full avocados and mash that. So that kind of coats this yummy 
kind of fluffier versus chunks of avocado. It creates a little bit of a creamy different dressing than if I was to whip it and blend it and massage it. It's probably one of my favorite things left over from my vegan days is a good like massaged kale salad with avocado in there. Me too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> probably because we know how to do it right. <laughs> if you had a kale salad you don't like, it wasn't massaged. It wasn't loved on it. Truth. All right. True. So how about acids? Read your beautiful quote yes. that you have for <laughs> Yeah. So my phrase on acids is that acids are our activators of flavors. So and again, like yeah, I, I still remember I have a really funny deja vu memory of us sitting at Siphon Coffee Shop when we were looking at some of the initial recipes and like, you know, being like, okay. So, you know, we need the fats as the carriers. We need the acids as the activators. The salt is the chemical bridge of flavor. And the sweet is the roundness. And these are all essential components and kind of bouncing back and forth different recipes and what plays what. So acids are our activators. And acids, I think, are the unsung hero of culinary production or of the home chef for sure. Um, I think unfortunately a lot of people only use acids in salad dressings and otherwise don't know how to use them in cooking. Would Would you agree? I agree. Yes. Yes. So, you know, we need that brightness. It's what brightens up a dish. So Miss Katz says sour in taste acids chemically catalyze food. They're actually nature's vacuum cleaners, powerfully drawing out hidden flavors. Like, she's just so cool. Uh, The way moisture can be brought out of a seemingly barren cactus. Lemons and limes are the most common culinary acids I use to draw out and brighten flavors and alkalizing to the body used in my cancer books. So she uses citrus as her primary acids of focus. Um, And I um, really like to be mindful of vinegars here because that opens a whole world of amazing diversity for acids and can take on such a variety of flavor based on, you know, what fruit the vinegar is derived from. So balsamic. And it's so interesting, our disconnect, because when we run like an MRT test and someone might be reactive to grape. And I'll say, oh, well, that's balsamic. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, like, you know, balsamic. Don't you see the picture with like the little grapes on there? (laughs) And champagne vinegar, just like wine, all are great. Um, And also, I think those are maybe the only three that people think of, but there's so much vinegar out there. Um, You know, so whether we're looking at um, like a a yuzu or yuzu, what is that? How do you say it? Why? Yuzu? Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's a new fun one that's out there. Apple cider vinegar, of course, we like to be mindful of. And generally speaking with vinegars, um, we want to be mindful with dysbiosis or candida. Um, but there's there's flexibility and it can still be incorporated. And it can definitely be, if we're talking about apple cider vinegar, a catalyst to support the biome. Sure. And yeah. So even within our, our candida protocol, we still do allow somewhere around a tablespoon daily of vinegar. And if it's in something cooked, you know, just as an acid finisher, um, generally oh, that yeah. would be totally fine. But other acids that we love, I'm thinking coconut vinegar is a, a new one that I was recently yeah. introduced. Actually, I think I was introduced to it in like Thailand or Bali by accident. Um, <laughs> I bought okay. some product with yeah. it in there and I was like, okay, I can hang with this. But that's something new that... Um, I've seen more and more. Anything else vinegar-wise that and uh, there's oh, rice yeah. rice wine vinegar. Um, so rice vinegar. So then there's all of the like botanical like tarragon vinegar, and those are usually going to use the base of like a rice vinegar or a lighter vinegar, like maybe a champagne vinegar, um, rather than like a balsamic or a, a red wine, which would be a little bit more acidic and bitey. Um, and you can do vinegar infusions at, at home, which is super fun, just like you can with your oils, right? So you can blend like fresh basil, if you have a lot of it, with some good quality extra virgin olive oil, strain it out. Uh, you can incorporate the remains of that like into a pesto or into some form of a savory uh, protein dish. And then that bright green basil oil is an awesome finish like on top of cooked halibut or something like that, or as a drizzle on a capri salad. Uh, you can do something similar like that with vinegars where you're able to do infusions. Like I like to just take rosemary sprigs and put that in. I often will pickle with my um, Bragg's apple cider vinegar. So literally just throwing 
bell pepper pieces into Bragg's apple cider vinegar and letting it sit for three days room temperature. I do that same thing all the time with the red onion. So I make pickled red onions where I'll throw some black peppercorns and that Bragg's and some salt. And then that's going to add acid to a dish as a enhancer, adding those pickled onions on top. Um, And that still is going to work within that FASS and brighten that flavor profile of that dish. If you've had good tacos, (laughs) a lot of them, like I think of carnitas tacos are best friends with (laughs) pickled onion. You know, we think of like cilantro, that white broken cheese and pickled onion to kick up that acid. And that's what really brings it together with a wedge of lime. It cuts through that like richness of, you know, the, the braised carnitas, the meat and the fat. Yeah. So awesome. Mm -hmm. Making me hungry. (laughs) And then one that I'd really like to call to action and we'll make sure we add to the Amazon store. I'm not sure if I've played with this with you in my kitchen, Becky, but I haven't put it on the blog enough and I will, I will make a promise call to action to myself Umi Boshi yeah, plum vinegar. Stuff. So this is like my secret sauce that I didn't know existed until um, one of the classes I worked with when I was at that with the chefs at PCC. And um, it is like just game change. You can literally add like four to five drops of Umi Boshi. So it's a fermented Japanese plum vinegar. And it it really is this like umami flavor, which is that fifth flavor of this round robustness, salty, briny. Um, but it has this bright vinegar, um, flavor profile too. And it lights up a beef dish. I mean, I'll throw it in like braised lamb. Um, I, I really will, will put it in yeah. anything. <laughs> um, and it's, it's just a really fun flavor profile to, to brighten things up and you don't need more than a couple drops and it takes things to the next say, level. Salt. Tasting <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It is very salty. It's briny. It's briny. Um, and so tasting your food in the process is super important. Um, but that's something that will make you feel like a top chef in, you know, a couple shakes. Totally. I have some in my pantry right now. I don't know if we've played together with it, but it definitely used to be one of my, um, staples back when I was a we got to work it in. We got to work it in. And, and then other acids to consider are wine and things like kombucha. So, you know, using this as an acid in a dish um, can be fun and diverse and something to, to not be overlooked. Um, if we are not doing the vinegars or we just want to mix things up beyond citrus. Awesome. Yeah. I've got some lamb shanks actually braising right now in red wine. So that's definitely something, you know, in a marinade can use. And the chef I used to work with would do kombucha in marinades all the time or like finish things with kombucha. And we we used to do a kombucha um, vinaigrette as well. Yes. We would do on salad. So we need to play with more of that on the blog too. And I just had a kombucha cocktail from our collagen kombucha cocktail (laughs) and fantastic. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So how about the first S? Let's talk about salt. So I know this one, we're always, always telling people that generally speaking, you know, when you clean up the diet and get to a real whole foods approach, you don't have sodium that's being used as a preservative in your packaged (laughs) items. So you'd be prone to actually going hyponatremic or low sodium and driving things like dizziness and fatigue and dehydration, especially with the keto diet and especially in the dead of summer heat. And even worse, if you're dealing with adrenal fatigue, because remember those adrenal glands not only make cortisol and DHEA, but they also make aldosterone, which plays a big role with our sodium retention in the body. So if we don't have ample sodium for the aldosterone to act on, that can further perpetuate things. And I think that's such a common thing we hear in our virtual keto keto food as medicine program is, I'm really craving salt. It's like, well, then go on with your bad self. Eat more salt. (laughs) And I call salt the chemical bridge of flavor. Um, I like to describe the best way to use salt if you're new to kind of food flavor connections is to make a homemade salsa. So you could use like a food processor if you want or a blender. You know, so take your tomatoes, take your onions, take your cilantro, take your acid, which is probably going to be a little bit of lime. Um, There sometimes is a little bit of vinegar used um, in a a salsa. And then... uh, your hot, your heat. So whatever spicy pepper, jalapeno, ghost chili, whatever you're throwing in there. 
And when you first taste the salsa, don't add any salt first. And you're going to taste everything very staccato. It's like first you get the tomato, then you get that cilantro, and then, ooh, there's that spice. And when you start adding salt slowly, a pinch at a time, a pinch at a time, keep tasting. And this is a key of becoming a good chef. Taste your food as you change your food so you know, again, that kind of mechanism of action. What is the shift that's occurring based on this modifiable variable? As you salt that, you start to get this beautiful harmony expression of the flavors um, that we're going to get very rounded out versus that staccato one, two, three. You're going to get this, ah, that is a kick-ass salsa. Um, and, And so you need, generally speaking, when you taste things, whether it's, you know, Becky's lamb shanks or whatever, if you taste meat, then oop, there's the bite of the wine in the back of my throat. And then there's this, then there's that. Add more salt when you taste things too segregated on your flavor profiles. I think that's an awesome kind of experiment and, and just way to approach salting your food. And then let's talk about um, table salt versus sea salt versus Celtic salt, Himalayan salt. Like what kind of salt should we be using? Yeah. So it's so important to say, as we're saying, salt liberally, <laughs> that all salts are not created equal. Um, so we want to make sure that we are not using the iodized salt. Uh, which is going to be completely sterilized. And actually, teaspoon for teaspoon does have more sodium than a Himalayan salt or a actual, like there's Redmond Real Salt, which is one of the brands of a uh, actual sea salt. Uh, sea salt and Himalayan pink salt are going to have a lot more mineral diversity. They're going to have trace minerals in them, including potassium and magnesium. They're going to be much better for balancing out our electrolytes. And again, they're not going to have the extraction or stripping like the commercial table salts will. So when you add potassium and magnesium, which are vasodilators and help to reduce your blood pressure, again, you can help uh, to regulate blood pressure and be less concerned about hypertension and high sodium per se. High sodium in processed foods, definitely something to avoid. Whole food salt, much less concerning. You're going to get a lot more balance and you need to use less because you're going to get much more flavor complexity for sure. Yes. So, so important. And we'll link to a couple of our favorite kind of staple salts, but just look oh my at gosh. Celtic and Himalayan salts alone. I was reading that those types of salts are going to have beyond just the sodium and, and chloride that is, you know, NACL standard table salt they're going to have 50 to 60 plus other trace minerals beyond the potassium and, and all of these other right. um, elements. So super, super important for mineral diversity for sure. And you're going to actually get that iodine. I get that a lot from people. Well, don't I need iodine? And it's like, well, again, not if you're taking a good quality multivitamin, like our multi-defense, which has it in there. Um, and not if you're eating seafood. So the whole low iodine came when the American diet shifted to pull out seafood. So as we've moved back to more of a Mediterranean approach, we're eating wild caught fish, we're eating sea vegetables like nori sheets and or shellfish, definitely not to be concerning. And you're getting iodine as one of those trace minerals as well. Um, So before we go into talking about our favorite salts, I want to read for Miss Katz to stay on par of of the flow. Um, So she says, so I call salt the chemical bridge of flavors. She says that um, salt is the taste bud equivalent of TNT. (laughs) Salt used properly can help flavor explode on the palate. Salt's crystalline nature, its rough texture, works like a scrubbing bubble that scratches the surface of foods, allowing their flavors to be released. I love that. That's amazing. I know. She's just like so cool. (laughs) Books for y'all. Little pulls. I think we should do in the Instagram promo one per FASS. That's my recommendation. (laughs) Um, So favorite salt. So yes, there's the varieties of sea salts. There's, I I love as a brand of a Celtic salt that I'm not sure if I say it right, but Maldron or the Maldron. It's in our Amazon store. For sure. I think it's Maldon. M-A-L-D-O-N? I don't know. Maldon? Yeah, that flaky. It's that really flaky, light salt. And it is just delicious. Oh my gosh, I love putting that on a sliced avocado in my every morning breakfast. That's like my favorite. Breaking my fast with that is 
dreamy. Uh, and so your varied forms of actual salts, and then there are salted foods. So the umiboshi plum itself could be in the salt, whereas the umiboshi plum vinegar might be in the acids. Uh, but you can actually buy the plum, the fermented fruit itself. Uh, Eden I've brand does that by accident. And <laughs> they're very interesting. I also had Ooh, an umiboshi I'm- kombucha there, which was super interesting. <laughs> It was I bet that was really interesting. Yeah, like salty, briny, pickle juice, meats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Miso is one of my favorites to use. So, you know, I'm, I'm anti-soy pretty much with the exception of miso. I love miso and I've only seen favorable impact on even like reducing risk of estrogen related cancers because of that fermentation. It's so much fun to use in the kitchen, in marinades and dressings and um, as a finish. Be mindful, though, if you're adding it um, and you want the probiotic, you are going to kill those probacteria if you're using it as a marinade. Um, But in a salad dressing or as a finish, like I like to plop some into my bone broth and top it with scallions. Um, That always is a really nice uh, kind of mug um, delivery of nourishment. And then you can also add like seaweed to that type of an example. And seaweed in recipes is a great way to add salt. Um, So breaking up nori sheets for a good salty crunch. Uh, let's like see what else. Becky. Shakers. Um, I think eat it. Eden yes. The adults. Um, there's another brand too. We'll make sure it's linked, but, uh, doing that as a alternative or addition to salt on our food that goes really well on an avocado too. And then, um, one of my favorites is bacon. <laughs> yes. Yes. Bacon for sure lives there. And, um, Oh, what's it called? Is it called gua- I can never think of it with the the um, sesame seeds and the, is that what you're talking yeah, about? Gomasio, G-O-M-A-S-I-O. Uh, sure. I can spell <laughs> it. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but. Okay. It sounds way better than mine, Gomachi. I know what you're saying. <laughs> yes, but that's a great finish as well. That would provide salt and have the seaweed in there. Um, and then coconut aminos, just like coconut vinegar. Coconut, you can pretty much use for all four. Fat, acid for coconut vinegar, salt from coconut aminos, and then sweet from like coconut yeah, sap. Totally. Um, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, fish sauce, I think, is another kind of super flavor enhancer. Love a good quality the fish sauce. Um, and I know, yep. That's in our um, Amazon store for certain. So again, just like the Omiboshi, a couple drops can really take things to the next level for sure. It's like just about dinner time. So these are (laughs) amazing, amazing Mm. ideas. And then there's all of the like infused kind of fun salts as well that we could go on and on. There's a particular company that I can't think of right now, uh, but I will link in the show notes that I really like for infused salts. My husband and I had like a fun date night to Central Market and (laughs) picked up like a ton of different crazy, (laughs) you know, lava salt and Serrano infused salts and like all these. Yes. Yes. Life made the name, but I'll, I'll link it for sure. Oh, I mean, just rubbing things like ghost chili, same thing, just like the infusions with the vinegar and the oils, you can add flavor enhancers to salt. So you can chop up a little bit of rosemary and rub that with a quarter cup of coarse salt and you have a rosemary, a rosemary salt to add to dishes. I mean, it's just endless for sure. Awesome. And yeah, way more economical to do it that way than to buy tiny bags of (laughs) salt, but super fun. Um, Okay. So beyond salt, let's go on to the last one, the last S, um, sweet. So this one might surprise some of you, like we said, who are doing a keto approach. Um, As you know, we're not going to be recommending any non-caloric sweeteners, but you know, for a flavor balancer, you can still use a moderate amount of whole food sweeteners and stay well within your carb limit as you've seen with some yes. of the recipes that Ali's been posting. Um, but they're really essential to make things taste balanced. Absolutely. And that's what's so important is the amount and um, really knowing that there are receptors that regulate satiety in our body, like our GLP-1, which has you know receptors in the tongue which play a big role with our cephalic processing and our perception of satiety. And this is where we see some of the negatives of like non-caloric sweeteners being used, but adding the right amount of a caloric or natural sweetener can really provide this roundness of flavor. So I call salt the roundness to make harmony in a dish. And Rebecca Katz says, I'm sorry, I called it salt. I meant sweet. Sorry. I call sweet 
salt is the chemical bridge of flavors. Salt is the roundness to make harmony. And Rebecca Katz says, the leader of the pack. Sweet tastes are the first to hit the palate and like the leading edge of a wave that hits the shore, spreads flavors quickly around the mouth while taking the hard edge off many tastes. Just like salts though, not any sweet will do. This is my favorite part. (laughs) Refined sugar falls flat. It doesn't have the virility to carry taste to our culinary G spots. I know. (laughs) She's so amazing. (laughs) So she calls um, organic gravy maple syrup the magic elixir. (laughs) Gosh, I love it. And just kind of the, the opening of uh, permission is something I know uh, sets your approach apart from pretty much all other keto programs and keto advocates out there. So let's talk about some of our favorites beyond grade B maple syrup, which is amazing. Yes. And gravy maple syrup has been rebranded to dark, robust maple syrup. And the difference is that it is darker and more robust. (laughs) So you actually need less of it, which is why I'm in in preference of the grade B or dark, robust. It also has more mineral um, density and more nutritional density. So you're going to get more B vitamins. You're going to get more uh, mineral um, impact. And so it's less refined. And um, I'm always a fan of closer to a whole food. So let's talk favorite sweets. And then I think we're going to table the BSSSSS to leave you guys. I was going to say, we're, we're breaking our yes. promise. Of so going. we're going to, we're going to hold that for next episode <laughs> and just leave you guys hanging or, or space bar later down the line. Um, but we will definitely give you sweets and then talk about a couple of our favorite dishes and where we kind of problem solve. So um, sweets, um, some one to not overlook uh, that gets a bad rap is unsulfured molasses. So I definitely started working with molasses more, again, with the kind of vegan world because that's a great mineral richness. Um, We talk about that as a great source of quote-unquote iron. Um, Definitely not as much as a bioavailable heme iron in red meat by any means, but mineral rich for sure. And all the times that we want to use a sweet, we want to get nutritional density. Again, we don't want a non-caloric sweetener like erythritol or stevia that tricks the palate but doesn't provide this mechanism and doesn't provide any nutritional components. So unsulfured molasses, which is derived from cane, but is still going to have all of the nutrition intact is a great option. Robust maple syrup. I love using dates um, and uh, I like to use like a date paste where I'll soak them. Like I I mentioned with my uh, avocado keto brownies, where I'll soak them and then puree them with water and, and make like a a paste that works really well in like a wet batter, um, or you could even chop up uh, quite fine dates into a dish. And then there could be a granulated product of date sugar. I love raw unfiltered honey. And I also like as a granulated product, coconut sugar. What are some other favorites, Becky? Um, Definitely, you know, even thinking for the keto world, um, flavors that are sweet that you can approach in a savory dish like caramelized onions. Yes. And, you know, tomatoes can be a sweet component. They're obviously yes. acidic on the forefront, but um, even things like caramelized, caramelized. can mm-hmm. be a, a, you know, sweeter or caramelizing, you know, garlic. Anything. Or <laughs> caramelizing pretty much anything. Caramelizing bacon, anything. Um, Bell peppers. Then, yeah. Um, I would say um, – Definitely suka nut is one that we've used a lot. Yes. I haven't played with it in a while just because I've been pretty tight keto, but um, that would be a, a natural form of cane sugar that mm-hmm. we've used. And then certainly fruit as well, you know, using some frozen cherries or blueberries or something like that to puree into dishes or maybe a little bit of applesauce or mashed banana as even a- banana. <laughs> crazy. Totally. And, and I think playing with fruits like peaches, um, I, we have that peach bourbon pork tenderloin in the naturally nourished cookbook and that can totally be done keto friendly. It's so flavor rich. And, um, again, you know, you can choose how much of the peach topping you use, or if you just use that, that kind of pour over sauce at the end and definitely not going to kick you out of ketosis. So using natural seasonal fruits, I think is a really great way to sing to being a locavore 
and, um, you know, also being sustainable within our, our dietary selection. That was something this summer that I was going to the summer, like, oh my God, I'm tight keto. I can't have the blackberries and the peaches and all these things that are in season. And I was like, nope, forget it. They're like, and figs are one of my favorite, you know, summer. Uh-huh. We're getting into fall now. So we'll have less um, of those types of fruits and more of citrus, at least here in Texas. But we did that peach. Um, they're grilled peaches with balsamic and goat cheese and prosciutto. prosciutto. So they hit all the elements yeah. of this FASS with like a very creative yeah. delivery of each of the each of the letters. So yeah. let's identify yeah. each part. Let's break it down. So so we got the peach. That would be the sweet. We can work back. <laughs> the salt. Goat cheese in there. So Okay. I think yeah. I don't think there's any salt added. And it was probably salted, no? Yeah, the prosciutto. Oh, the prosciutto salt, right? would be the yep. salt too. So the prosciutto and maybe the goat cheese a little bit. And then the acid was the yep. balsamic the on there. Reduction. And the fat. And did it have a drizzle of fat on there as well yeah, as the prosciutto and the goat did. cheese? Or those count as the fat? Oil to drizzle and grill. And then you could certainly finish with more fat, but you're also getting fat in the prosciutto and the goat cheese. Yeah, you got fat covered. But typically, you don't have to worry about finding fat in our recipes. <laughs> and then um, I've been really crushing on. I'll I'll just workshop that kind of like carnitas thing that I mentioned. Um, so I've been pickling a lot of red onion as we're getting to the tail end of summer and, and branching into fall. Yes. Uh, so pickled onion would be the acid, uh, and then, um, using cilantro as a fresh herb and, and herbs we'll get more into with the conversation, (laughs) the bitter, salty, uh, spicy, sweet. Um, and, uh, so adding fresh herbs is definitely something I always try to do within my recipes because it's such a awesome, uh, brightness of flavor and definitely good delivery of antioxidants. So the pickled onion is the acid. The fat was um, a vinaigrette that I made with, well, it's actually technically not a vinaigrette because it had lime as the acid in the dressing, but it was olive oil, cumin, and lime. And then um, so the fats would come from the olive oil. The And then I had avocado in there that I chopped up in cubes. That'd be another fat. The acid was the pickled onion and the lime. Then the uh, salt would be from the, um, I never say it, is it? Cojita cheese. Someone made fun of me on Instagram, so I know I'm not saying it right. It was the day I used the F word in a post and someone goes, (laughs) they go, I don't know why anyone's gangbanging on the F bomb. I'm upset with the way that you said the word Kojita or whatever. And I was like, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm so bad, but I know how to use it. Um, It's a crumbly Mexican cheese. Um, C-O-J-I-T-A. Um, so that I would... I speak Spanish, okay, so, so if I'm saying it wrong, you guys, you should okay. call me out Fajita. on Instagram too. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the salt as well. So the salt was the cajita cheese as well as I salted the actual dressing with a Himalayan pink salt. And then um, I had finely chopped uh, jalapeno in there. And um, the sweet was I put a teaspoon of raw unfiltered honey in the dressing. So the dressing had lime, cumin, uh, olive oil, and um, it needed that beyond the Himalayan salt, it needed that little bit of raw and filtered honey to bring that cumin and lime really connected um, with the olive oil. And that's something important to note that we'll get into with next episode we do on the balance of flavors, and we'll kind of workshop this, which we'll do more with the secret project. Um, and that'll make more sense to announce as we get deeper into the year anyway. Um, but, uh, is that you want to have an emulsifier when you're doing a dressing. So, you know, if you're going to add mustard, yeah, for sure that works in, in a lot of salad dressings like a red wine, vinegar, olive oil, thyme, or oregano, add some mustard to keep that all mixed together. But I love a little bit of raw and filtered honey or that robust maple in a dressing to both hit my culinary G spot, duh. And to um, keep the acid and fat from separating. Awesome. That salad sounds so, so good. I'm going to have to do a version and steal your recipe for the blog so we can share it with everyone. Yeah, it's really pretty. Over it. It looks beautiful. On the yes. Okay, good, good. job. <laughs> Happy to hear it. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> awesome. So we've, we've covered about 50% of what we intended today. So we'll make sure that the rest of this gets into a 
future episode, another one on balancing flavor. Um, and for sure, let us know. Yeah. Well, and we have Kendra from um, Peace, Love and Low Carb coming in the next couple, maybe like in five or six out. And she's going to talk with us about being in a food rut. So we'll do her episode first and then we'll figure out what we didn't cover and then pick it up from there for sure. So sometime plan on like November, yes. guys. Yes. Cause I think we could just go on forever and this topic will continue to be interwoven into all of our episodes. We hope there's always like some dish that you come away wanting to make from even the nerdiest episode that we do. For sure. And it's so important that you're, you know, both loving the food you eat and having fun while you make it. And that's, what's going to make your wellness program sustainable. You have to feel the joy of recipe creation and time in the kitchen versus frustration, anxiety, and, oh, I don't have this. What do I do? Um, so send us your questions after today's episode. I, like I said, I, I really kind of think tanking how to bring food as medicine in a culinary delivery to you guys. Um, and I think the reality is if we get too rigid in following recipes, we get discouraged and, um, you know, it's, really important to understand these mechanisms and structural functional relationships of what does this ingredient provide? How does that balance out the flavor? And what can I do to substitute it? So you can really feel like your own kitchen vixen, uh, you know, just the way that you use supplements in your body to heal and balance, you can use foods in the same way. And it's important that we don't feel daunted. And um, again, frustration only leads to falling off or effort. And um, I, I really want you guys to feel empowered by the role that food has in your day-to-day -day function. Amazing. So hopefully y'all are inspired to get in the kitchen after listening to this episode. Again, this is your last reminder for the September start of our virtual ketosis class. Go hop on there if you're thinking about it because your next opportunity won't come until January. You have plenty of time to catch up, so no worries. Um, we also are excited for what's to come. I can't wait to hear about the secret project if I don't know about it already. And stay tuned <laughs> for more about our YouTube channel launch coming in January. Yes. And recipe development and all things coming your way. Um, so thanks always as listening. Like I said, please post some questions if you thought this was intriguing. Um, recipe ruts, confusion in the kitchen. And um, as always, hop on over to iTunes. Give us a five-star review with a sentence or two of why you love the Naturally Nourished podcast. And be sure to share um, what you're listening to with your friends and family on your social media, um, text them links, all the things, because sharing is caring. And we want this food as medicine thing to spread viral like wildfire. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.